0: You turn into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you There's none like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you unlike you, cause our God is greater, I got stronger, God you are higher than any other, I got is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. To the darkness we shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you There's none like you I got us greater I got us stronger God, you are higher than any other I got us healer Awesome in power, I got our God Yes, I got is greater and I got his stronger. God, you are higher than any other I got is healer, he's awesome in power. And if I got us for us, then who could ever stop us? And if I got us with us, then what can stand against? And if I got us for us, then who could ever stop us? And if I got us with us, then what can stand against? Then what stand? I greater, I got, stronger, got you a stronger, God, You are higher than any other, and I got a healer, awesome power. I got, I got, yes, I got a greater, I got a stronger, God, You are higher than any other, and I got a healer, awesome power. Yes, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God You are higher than any other, our God is healer, he's awesome in power, our God, our God. ever sinned, but suffered as if he did. All glory, every victory is yours. Ah uh-huh.
1: church, what a way to begin our worship service. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that this morning, that Jesus is awesome in power and in him we will overcome. Somebody say amen. Amen. Man, we need to be reminded of that. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We're glad that you're here and having just worship like that. Let's take a moment and welcome those around us. If you can return to your seats, you may be seated. Well, good morning. As I already said, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. If this is your first time with us, uh, welcome. Uh, You are our guest. We're thankful that you're here. I I see... A few new faces this morning. We would greatly appreciate if you would let us know you're here. There's a couple ways you can do that. One, um, in the bulletin here, you see there's a place for you to scan this QR code. You can fill out just a little bit of information about yourself online. That would be helpful if you don't want to do it online, um, either in the pew or out there at the welcome desk or some connection cards. You can fill that out and place that right there in the box. Uh, We promise we're not going to come harass you, but it helps to know who you are and helps us to be able to pray for you. If there's any way that we can be praying for you, please let us know. Again, you can fill that out online through the QR code or you can write it on the back of the connection card uh, so we can be in prayer uh, for you. Just a couple of announcements I want to draw your attention to. As Sunday school teachers, we have a meeting at 4 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, We have a time constraint, so if you could be here at 4 o'clock so we could get started, we would greatly appreciate that. We have some things we just want to share with you. Um, And also just encourage you, and and Steve is our Sunday school director, um, and then myself, we just want you to know that we want to help you, encourage you, love on you any way that we can. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, we would love for you to be here at 4 o'clock. It says in the bulletin that we have a senior friends luncheon this Tuesday. We do not. We're postponing that one more month, putting on that hold, uh, on hold for one more month. So just wanted to draw your attention to that as well. There's other ministries that are available for you. Uh, Please read the bulletin. Check those out. Uh, We want you to be involved in uh, that. Well, this morning, instead of praying the Scripture, uh, a brother in Christ of ours and also a member of Northside, Lou Kuhn, is going to come, and he's going to share a little bit about a mission and a ministry that God has laid upon his heart. September is uh, Suicide Awareness Month. This past Friday was actually World Suicide Awareness Day, Um, and so he's going to come and and talk a little bit about his his ministry, his mission, also talk a little bit about a training that we'll do probably beginning of the year, and after he's done sharing, Lou, if you'll just close us in a word of prayer with that, and then we'll go into a hymn. I'm giving him mic three, Steve, if that's all right with you. All right.
2: There is a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 16, I think it's uh, appropriate for what I do on a regular basis, but it's the story of Paul and Silas, and they were in prison for preaching the gospel, but uh, about midnight there was a huge earthquake, and uh, the foundations were shaken. And if you remember that story, uh, the doors sprung open, the chains fell off, and uh, the guard, the jailer was about to draw his sword and take his own life because he was going to lose his life if anybody had escaped, uh, but Paul shouted out in a loud voice, and he says, do not kill yourself, we are all here. Um, I work in the area of suicide intervention, I have been for the past 10, 10 11 years, i army chaplain, um, I was shaving once a month and going to drill, but I got out of that this year. I'm. Back in the IRR, so I'm Individual Ready Reserve. So they can call me up at any time if they wanted me to, wanted to. But that's what I did in the Army. Uh, That's what I do running a nonprofit organization. Uh, We've been blessed to be able to share um, what we do. Uh, It's called The Intervene Challenge. It's based on a book that I wrote. Uh, And these books are available online if if you're interested. I do have a few here with me today Uh, called Listen, Learn, Lead. And uh, we've been able to share um, through the Intervening Challenge with over 21,000 people. I just got back from, I was in Tubelo last Sunday, uh, Pastor, the Sunday before last. And this past week, I was in uh, South Carolina, uh, training mainly law enforcement. I think, Kevin, Kevin, you've been in the class before. We trained all of Fayetteville Police Department and a lot of the county. And uh, But here's the thing, um, the suicide rate is going up. It's been going up. Now, the interesting thing is this, um, and somebody called me on this in a class I did not long ago. I had posted when COVID first hit that there's going to be this huge tsunami, and, and the foundations are being shaken now, right? We see that um, with uh, the fall of, of um, Afghanistan every night for the past two or three weeks. I've been on the phone till 12 or 1 o'clock with veterans that are struggling. But I had made a post last year around April uh, that the suicide rate was going to go up. And I had a clinician in one of my classes recently said, well, you do know the suicide rate actually went down. And I said, yeah, I know that. Well, you said it was going up. Yeah, it is. Well, it can't be both. Well, here's how that works. Imagine 2019, we were at about 50,000 people that took their life. Over a million people ended up in the hospital because they had attempted their life. Well, it went down in 2020, but it went down under duress. So imagine this, 2019, 2020, where's it going in 21? It's gonna go through the roof. So we know that to be true because ideation, the thoughts of suicide have doubled in the past year. So though the rate went down, the thoughts went up. And we normally, uh, we talk a lot about teenagers because that's the number two cause of death is teenagers. But um, the reality is this, um, in the tri-county area, Coweta, Fett, and Clayton County, last year when the suicide rate went down for most everybody else, the suicide rate went up 33% for teenagers. And they're, Chris, they're the, actually the most resilient group that we have. We talk a lot about kids taking their life, but teenagers are the most resilient group so when they hit 20 the rate goes up when hit 30 it goes up 40 it goes 50 it peaks out and then after 60 you know I guess people out of sheer morbid curiosity they say I'll stick around right (laughs) so so you know at that but but the bottom line is it just keeps going up and so we've got to do something and while I've trained mostly law enforcement and and clinicians and a lot of schools out of that 21,000, my heart's desire is for the church to stand up. We are all here, and if there's any group of people that have the opportunity to share hope, it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the ones who need to have the skills, and And so that's what we do. So sometime we'll be getting with the pastor and with the leadership we'll figure it out. It'll be after uh, Upward, of course. But we want to have a workshop here. And I would love to see as many people as we can coming to the training. It's it's about 9 to 3 o'clock, something like that, on a Saturday. Uh, And if you're interested, uh, we do have a a call to action out in the back. You can get that as you're leaving today. And if you want to go ahead and RSVP, You can do that. It's free to RSVP. If you want the book, you can get that. We do have to charge for the book because my board of directors would get upset if I just gave it away. But if you want to do either one, you can RSVP or you can go ahead and get the book. And that way you can kind of start reading ahead. And then when it's time for us to do the class, you'll already have a good foundation of where we're going. Because here's the bottom line. Intervention saves lives. I've done over 1,600 suicide interventions over the past 10 years. And to the glory of God, not because of me, but to the glory of God, everybody that I've gotten to is still alive today. And so that is, that is the reality, intervention saves lives. And so if we are trained and we're skilled and we know what to do, your antenna is going to go up and you're going to be able to save a life. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much that you are the God of peace. You give us peace in the midst of the foundations being destroyed. And and Lord, as the psalmist asked inquisitively, what shall the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? The only thing we can do, seek your face, pray, know, you and trust you with all of our hearts. And so Father, in the midst of a changing world that seems to be changing every day with the foundations uh, crumbling in our in our nation, Father, give us peace that passes understanding. Guard our hearts and let us know that for those who have committed to you, Lord, we can trust you. We can trust your word that whatsoever we've committed to you, you're going to keep it against days like this. And so, Lord, we're trusting you and we're thanking you that you're our Savior, you're our God, you're the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. And we have no reason whatsoever to fear, come what may. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
3: Let's stand as we continue on. And
1: Amen. remain standing if you will, take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2, and if you're a child, second grade and under, you're welcome to go to Children's Church if you haven't already. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to spend the next three weeks in verses 1 through 10. The sermon is entitled, From Death to Life, and we'll see that unpacked over the next three weeks. Weeks. So Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read all 10 verses just so you have the context in case this is new to you. Beginning in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. When you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, You may be seated. Everyone who was alive and old enough to remember knows exactly where they were 20 years ago on September 11, 2001. I know exactly where I was. This past week, I watched two documentaries. One was a six-part documentary. The other one was an hour and a half that focused in on President Bush and. And his inner circle and all that took place that day its fascinating. I was reminded once again of the loss of life that occurred that day. The fear, the panic, the hopelessness that so many felt. But I was also reminded once again of the number of lives that were saved due to the men and women of that day who ran to the towers and up the steps rather than running away. They're heroes. The number of people who, after that day, decided, hey, my country needs me and I'm going to serve my country. They're heroes. Heroes who serve our community. Heroes who serve our nation. But I was also reminded of something else. Something I hadn't forgotten, but just something that reminded me. That 20 years ago, America was attacked by terrorists. And what did we do as a nation? We came together. We stood together. We put our parties and our differences and our tribes aside. People flocked to churches looking for hope and looking for peace. And on that day, 20 years ago, in the weeks that followed, we could say, United we stand. And here we are, 20 years later. Not united, but more divided than ever. United we stand, not any longer. Divided we fall, that appears a lot more accurate. We promised to never forget, and yet so many people have forgotten. And rather than being destroyed by terrorists from without, it seems as though we're being destroyed by ourselves from within. So much division, so much evil, so much selfishness, so much death. So much that is in opposition to God and His will for our lives. Why? Why is that? Why is there so much division and so much evil and so much selfishness and so much death and so much brokenness? Well, the Apostle Paul is crystal clear in our text this morning as to why these things exist. They exist, hear me, because it's who we are or it's who we once were. That's what Paul says. What the Apostle Paul says here in our text is true of everyone. Either it speaks of who you presently are or who you were in the past. These verses speak to the reality of every man's heart, of every woman's heart, of every child's heart, of every teenager's heart. These verses speak to the condition and the nature of our heart apart from Jesus Christ. The state of our hearts apart from the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Why is there so much evil in the world? So much wickedness, so much brokenness. Paul's clear. He says three things here about the condition of man apart from Jesus. Now listen, full disclosure, this isn't going to be the most encouraging of messages. By nature, I'm dividing it up because I, I don't want to preach for an hour and a half this morning. But before we get to the good news, we've got to deal with the reality of the bad news. And this morning, verses 1 through 3, it's a lot of bad news. So who are you? Who am I apart from Jesus Christ? Well, number one, Paul says, we are dead Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now the King James Version at the beginning says, and you were quickened. And they do that to try to help with the reading in the English. But the reality is the main verb in these verses, verses 1 through 7 is a one long verse. The main verb doesn't occur until verse 5 when it says, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we know he's going to get to the part we've been made alive, but he simply starts this way, and you were dead dead Paul speaking here of our spiritual state we are dead to the things of God we are alienated and separated from God this will be on the screen every person that is born into this world is born dead on arrival some tragically are born dead physically everyone is born dead spiritually we are all born dead on arrival. We may be alive physically. You may push back and say, no, no, pastor, I'm not dead. No, physically you may be alive. You may be able to do things, but spiritually, apart from Jesus, you are dead. Scriptures clear. Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses. In chapter 2, verse 12, just a few verses later, Paul says, having no hope and without God in the world. And here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 18 of Ephesians. They are darkened in their understanding. Listen to this alienated from the life of god so if you are alienated from the life of god what are you you're dead if you don't have the life of god then you are dead dead paul says what in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked dead in your trespasses this word indicates a transgression against the law of god you have purposely rebelled against God's law his word you have crossed the boundary that God has set you've transgressed his law he also says you were dead in your sins that greek word is hamartia it means to miss the mark we all fall short what is god's standard for you it's not goodness it's perfection you must perfectly keep his law anybody done that raise your hand and you just lied And so now you can't say you've kept it, right? Because we've all fallen short. You see, the cause of our spiritual death is sin. Every one of us, every one of us in this room, myself included, we were born fallen. We were born at enmity with God, enemies of God. We were born opposed to God. Why? Because of our sin. At our very nature, we are sinners. We sin. Because we are sinners. Lost people are going to act like lost people. Why? Because they're lost. They're sinners. They don't know Jesus. It's the only way they know how to act. Listen, we don't become a liar when we lie. We tell a lie because at our core we're liars. It's who we are. We are sinners. Those of you who have kids, grandkids, you've been around kids, you know what you don't have to do? Teach your kids to lie. I've never met a parent who said, Pastor, I just want you to know, when I was three years old, when my son Johnny was three years old, I just sat him down and said, Listen, Johnny, I want you to lie. The rest of your life, just lie. You'll get out of a lot of trouble by just telling lies. Just lie, Johnny. What does every parent have to sit their kid down and tell them at some point? Johnny, we don't lie. Because he knows to lie. It's his nature. It's just what he does. He sins. Listen to me, we are not morally good, we are not neutral, we are not partly dead or mostly dead. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are totally dead. I am totally dead apart from Jesus Christ. Now Paul doesn't address everything here, it's not exhaustive. He doesn't say anything about being made in the image of God. Right? We know we're all made in the image of God. Now that image has been marred but not completely destroyed. So because we've been made in the image of God, even lost people can do some good things. They can make beautiful art. They can sing amazing songs. They can throw the ball 50 yards Right, Kentucky has a quarterback this year. It's amazing. We'll just move on past that. Just had to get that in really quick. Um, it's been years since I've seen it. Right? I don't know if he's saved or not. So we can do some good things. So some people push back and say, wait a minute, I can do good things. Yes, and, and some people do worse things than others. Being totally depraved doesn't mean we're as wicked as we can be, but what it means is at our core, we are dead and we are separated from God. So hear me. Your children. As much as you love them, as much as I love them, as much as we want to encourage them and build them up, here's the reality. If they don't know Jesus, they're dead. My son Landon knows Jesus. He's alive. My son Malachi is five. He doesn't know Jesus yet. He's a wonderful kid. But at his core, in his heart, he is dead. And he will be dead until Jesus gives him life. And when I parent him, I have to parent him knowing he's dead, spiritually, alienated from God. He needs Jesus. That is his greatest need. There was a chicken farmer, and it was not Steve Holloway. (laughs) Did Steve just slip out? He he knew I was, he must have read my manuscript. He was back in the sound booth. There was a chicken farmer who was losing a lot of his flock. And so he wrote a letter to the Department of Agriculture, and he said this, Gentlemen, something is wrong with my chickens. Every morning when I come out, I find two or three lying on the ground, cold and stiff, with their feet in the air. Can you tell me what is the matter? It took three months. That's how the government works sometimes. It took three months, but finally he got a reply back. And he opened the letter. He was excited, and this is what it said. Dear sir, your chickens are dead. (laughs) He waited three months for that. Like, duh, that's a no-brainer. But Paul is clear. Don't overlook this. Don't downplay this. Apart from Christ, every single person who has ever lived spiritually is dead. There's a connection here between what Paul has already said in chapter 1 and now what he's going to say in chapter 2. Remember chapter 1, he talks about this immeasurable greatness of God's power. And we see God's power on display in raising Christ, exalting Christ, Christ ruling over the church. So Paul continues that. Where else do we see God's power? In the fact that he can take dead sinners and give them life. Paul's going to get to the good news, but he starts out with the bad news. We are dead. But we're not only dead, Paul goes on to say, secondly, we are disobedient. We are disobedient. We are dead, alienated from God, separated from God, spiritually dead. But then we're also disobedient in how we live our life. So he he mentions three things here that are influences in our life, and we'll break these down. I'm just going to read them for you. Verse 2, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So we are disobedient. Then there are influences in the world and in our life that are leading us to be even more disobedient. Paul mentions 3. Number 1 is the world. This is an outside influence. In which you once walked, following the course or the way of this world. Right, An unsaved person, a person who is lost, doesn't know Jesus, is controlled by the world's influences and by what the world values. And what the world, the world system values is always opposed to God. The unsaved and the saved both live in the world, but the unsaved person lives for the things of the world and he thinks or she thinks likes the world. So, John MacArthur and his commentary, very easy quick summary talks about 3 things that the world values. Now we could add a lot more to this, certainly we could, but just these three things. 3 things. 3 things that the world values. Number 1 is humanism. Our world values humanism. Right? Humanism simply is placing man above all else. Man is superior, right? Naturalism, I think flows out of this, right? There is no god, it's all natural, completely removing god from the picture because if god's out of the picture, then we can make it about us. what our world values humanism the world also values materialism especially here in America we place a high value on physical things money possessions accumulating all this stuff we worship this stuff we gain this stuff we achieve this stuff and it becomes an idol for us and another thing the world values and we see this clearly today is sexual perversion the world perverting God's good design of sex which is to take place in marriage between one man and one woman, and we see how the world perverts this left and right all over the place today. So we have the world. We live in this world that is opposed to God, and it influences us to seek and to pursue the things of the world. And many, all lost people pursue it, and even many Christians still seek to pursue the things of the world. But then he mentions a second one, and that is the devil. This is the supernatural influence. We follow the course of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the devil here is called the prince of the power of the air, the air being right, the sphere in between earth and heaven, the heavenly realms where Satan and his demons right, roam about and do their work. He's called the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. In other scriptures, the devil is called the prince of demons, the ruler of this world, the god of this world, right? The devil, hear me, the devil and his demons exist and they're active. They are actively working, actively influencing. And so you and I are subject to Satan's influence. Now, this is important because in the New Testament, we see a lot about demon possession. I don't believe every single person in this room is possessed by the devil. There may not be anybody in this room possessed by the devil. Does demon possession still take place? I I think so. You see it in other countries, particularly where there's a lot of witchcraft and spiritual things. But here's what all of us have to deal with. Not being possessed by demons or possessed by Satan, but being persuaded by Satan. Being persuaded by his demons. So the good news... For us, there'll be a little bit of good news throughout this bad news sermon. The good news is the devil's a defeated foe. Somebody say amen. 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 Man, he's a defeated foe. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about this. It talks about Christ and his power and how he has defeated um, Satan. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Some people want to just completely dismiss the devil. We don't want to talk about him, We don't want to talk about demons. Some people look for the devil behind every corner. Everything is blamed on the devil. Satan is at work. His demons are at work. But he's a defeated foe. But hear me. He will not go down without a fight. And everywhere you and I look, we see the handiwork of the devil. Child pornography. Child prostitution. Pornography, drug addiction, family destruction, racism, division. It is all the handiwork of the devil who seeks to influence, particularly lost people, but even still trying to influence believers, leading us to live this life. But then there's one other influence Paul mentions. He says this, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and The mind. So the flesh will be the inner influence. Look what Paul says. He begins verse 1, and you were dead. And then he comes back in verse 3 and says, among whom we all once lived. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, listen, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. We are all equally wretched. We are all equally sinners. We are all dead, all disobedient when it comes to God and His will. I heard someone say years ago that the world teaches you to sin, The devil will tempt you to sin, but your flesh willingly takes you to that sin. Let me illustrate it. There was a little boy who was disciplined by his mother for kicking his sister in the shins and then pulling her hair. So his mother said, Why did you let the devil make you kick your little sister and pull her hair? He said, Well, mother, the devil made me kick her, but pulling her hair, that was my idea. Listen, the devil will tempt you. He will persuade you. But you can't blame the devil when you give in to sin and temptation. Because your flesh will take you there whether Satan tempts you or not. Your flesh, your your mind and your heart, apart from the transformation of Jesus Christ, is wicked and wretched. It is. And but by the grace of God, you're not worse than you are. Look, I grew up in America. I didn't grow up in some other country where I was taught and trained to be a terrorist. Had I been, I could be just as wicked as they are. Because my heart is just as wicked as them. Thankfully, I had godly parents who pointed me to Jesus and protected me from a lot of wicked things that I could have done had I not had them in my life. Because my heart is just as wicked as anybody else's heart. Apart from Christ, my thoughts and my deeds are wicked. How wicked? You don't even got to turn over. It's Galatians 5. I don't even have to turn the page. In my Bible, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is the works of the flesh. This is my flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Might be hitting closer to home. Some of the first ones were like, well, I don't struggle with that. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. See the next word? Divisions. Divisions are not of God. They are of the flesh, and they are satanic. And there are people who understand by dividing us, they can conquer us. And so divisions are not a thing of God. In the world or in the church, we don't want any part of divisions like that. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So who are you? Let me rephrase that. Who am I? Apart from Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am dead. I am disobedient. But then he tells me one more thing. I am condemned. Because he says this, And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Apart from Jesus Christ, I stand condemned. I am under God's wrath i am a child of wrath this will be on the screen Sinner. since we are sinners by nature then we are born children of wrath i'm not born a child of god i'm born a child of wrath I'm adopted into the family of God, but by nature, I am a sinner who deserves the wrath of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I am justly under the judgment of God, and God will punish sin, and God will punish sinners. Now listen, this isn't popular today. Saying man is lost. It's not popular today. It's not politically correct to tell people Jesus is the only way. And that apart from Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. It's not politically correct. It's not what the world wants to hear. But it's what God says in his word. And Paul is clear in these three verses. That Aaron Hornsby, all that I deserve is to be condemned by God and sent to hell. Because I deserve his wrath. We are dead, disobedient, and condemned. And we deserve God's holy, righteous anger and wrath to be poured out on us. Now listen, there are many people in the world, and maybe you are one of them. And here's what you think. If I'm good enough, if I'm kind enough, if I'm loving enough, if I'm giving enough, If I'm helpful enough, then somehow I can earn salvation and live in heaven when I die. Why? Because I was a good person. Not according to Paul. According to Paul, you are not a good person. And according to Paul, you won't get to heaven by being a good person. Listen, you may do some good things from time to time. But spiritually, you are dead, disobedient, and under condemnation, and under the wrath of God. Paul talks about this glorious inheritance that we receive. We receive it by grace. The only inheritance that I deserve, and I need to be reminded of this often, the only inheritance I deserve is the judgment and wrath of God. That's all I deserve. But I can't end on a really bad note. So let me just draw your attention to two quick words here in verse 4. Maybe the greatest words in all of Scripture. But God. I am dead, disobedient, and damned to hell. But God. My hope is in God. See, I deserve, spoiler alert for next week, I deserved the wrath of God But God, instead of pouring His wrath out on me, has poured it out on His Son, Jesus Christ. He has saved me by His grace. Now, why would Paul begin this way? Why would Paul, as he's getting ready to talk about the power of God to save us, spend three verses telling us who we are at the core? Dead, disobedient, and condemned to hell. Why would he tell us this? Because By focusing on who we are apart from Christ, it makes us have a greater appreciation for who we are in Christ. J.C. Ryle says, Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly seen. Some of you this morning have never given your life to Jesus because you don't think you need Jesus. You're like, look, Jesus died, that's wonderful, but I don't need him. I mean, I'm pretty good. I do a lot of good things, so it's wonderful. If you need Jesus, that's fine, but but I don't need him. So my prayer this morning, if you don't know Jesus, is simply this. That when you walk out of here, for the first time in your life, you're going to say, man, I need Jesus. I've never seen that this is who I am. I've always thought I was a good person. I was told, you're the best, you're the greatest. I bought into that lie. I didn't realize who I am apart from Christ and that I need a Savior I love what Tony Merida writes. He says, Paul draws our attention to the depth of our depravity in order to magnify the mercy and grace of God in saving us. Like a black cloth on which a beautiful diamond sits. Jesus Christ is that beautiful diamond. And when you see that he is there against your sin, against the blackness of your heart, you realize you are saved because of him and not because of you. Hear me as we wrap this up. You are a sinner by nature. You are dead by nature. I am a sinner by nature. I am dead by nature. I am saved by God's grace. I am alive by God's grace. So listen. Paul says you were dead. He is speaking to every one of us in this room. Every one of you watching online. That phrase, and you were dead, either speaks to who you are presently or it speaks to who you were in the past. So let me talk to those of us that it speaks about our past. Because I was dead until June 18, 1990, when God, by his grace, made this boy alive alive. I was dead when I walked into that sanctuary. And when I walked out, I was alive by God's grace. And I need to be reminded of that every single day. Because the temptation for me, if I'm not, is to go right back to the world, to go right back to Satan's influence, to go right back to the flesh, to elevate myself, to think I'm really better than who I think I am. But the gospel reminds me I'm not. So let me just remind all of us, As we look around and see a world that is broken and fallen apart and and divided in a disaster, let us first be reminded, but by the grace of God, that would be us. By the grace of God, that would be me. I'm not like that because of God's grace. So I try really hard. I try not to get frustrated and angry and mad at lost people. They're going to do what they're going to do. I find myself getting more frustrated with Christians who ought to know better than lost people who are dead. That's all they know how to do. So what do lost people need, church? They need the gospel. They need the church to be the light of the world. They don't need a church divided. They need a church united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know, hey, look, I'm not better than you. I once was dead. I once was where you were, but by the grace of God. But now... Let me speak to those of you who this describes your current condition. You have two choices this morning. Because you know. You know if you've ever given your life to Jesus. You know if you believed in Him, rejected Him, turned from Him. You know. Right now, you know. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. You know I am talking to you, whether you're sitting in here or watching online. You know right now the Spirit of God is focused right on you. So you have one of two choices this morning. First choice Say, I hear you, Pastor, but I'm just going to take my chances. Again, I think I'm a pretty good person. Maybe you want to get into the Jesus thing. That's fine. I don't need him. And you can walk right out that door, and you can reject Jesus Christ, and you can think, I've got more time for Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, on September 11, 2001, thousands of people woke up that morning thinking they had plenty of time. They got on a plane, they walked into a building, they thought, I've got all the time in the world to give my life to Jesus. I got all the t- I don't need that, I'm good, I'm in myself. But they knew in their hearts they were dead and they were empty. So choice number one is to walk out and ignore it and continue to live your life. But Paul's clear that you are dead, disobedient, and you stand under the condemnation of God. Or your second choice, in just a moment, you can stand up, you can walk this aisle, you can take me by the hand, and you can say, Pastor, I don't want to be dead anymore. I don't want to run from God anymore. I want to be saved. How can I be saved? You can take me by the hand, and we can go to Jesus, and he can save your life. But listen, I can't make that choice for you. Your family can't make that choice for you. Only you right now can say, God, this is who I am apart from you, but only you can save me. Would you close your eyes and bow your heart? Father, you are a God who saves. You have saved me. A wretched sinner who, who didn't even realize the full depravity of my heart when I was 10 years old. But I knew at that moment that I was lost and I needed a Savior because I was on my way to hell. And there's nothing I could do to save myself. And Spirit, you spoke to me and you enlightened the eyes of my heart. And, and you saved me that day. And God, I didn't realize just how wretched I was. But God, I've learned that since then. I've learned that because I know my heart. And I know the sins of my heart. And I know that even as a Christian, God, I still blow it. I still fall far short, God, of who you have saved me to be. And so, God, now, today, I see more clearly than I ever have just how sinful and wretched I am. But, God, I've also been reminded of just how gracious you are. God, that you love me and you died for me. And there are people today who just continue to push away from that. They reject it. Filled with this humanistic ideology that it's about man and I'm good and I can do this. No, God, that's of the devil. That's our sin. That's our our fleshly desire speaking. No, Jesus, we know, every one of us know that we need you. But will we come to you? Will we turn or will we continue to trust in you? God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, Spirit of God, convict them right now, we pray. We pray right now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to be right here at the front as we sing this song. If, if you need to give your life to Jesus, or if you need to kneel and pray, whatever's on your heart, you come as, as we sing together.